You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Chicago Bears lose to the Green Bay Packers 13-21 in a thrilling game that truly came down to the wire. I go over the game's positives and negatives on this week's episode of Bear With Me. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, on this, the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. Now, usually I like to bring on a guest to help me talk through the game, but in this case, it's just a solo show, and that's perfectly fine with me, to be honest, because while this game certainly did leave us with some things to talk about, it also realistically eliminates the Bears from the playoffs and therefore, quote-unquote, ends the season. Obviously, there's two more games left against the Kansas City Chiefs and the Minnesota Vikings, but the Bears look more likely to play spoiler to the Vikings season than they do make the playoffs themselves, which makes for, let's be honest, quite a disappointing end to what we thought was going to be such a promising season. Now, like I said a minute ago, there are a lot of things to talk about, but we're going to start on the positive things that I saw in today's game before we move into the negatives. And of course, we will be talking about Mitchell Trubisky quite a bit, but hey, we'll just see where the conversation leads us. I just want you to know that we are all Bears fans. We all likely watch the game. We all likely have differing opinions on this sort of thing, but I'm just going to give you what I saw, and I'd love to hear whether you agree or disagree after the fact. We'll start with a major positive. Nick Kwiatkowski has been so, so good this season, it's almost hard to understate, especially given the kind of linebacker we know him to be. Remember, coming into the 2019 season, most people's memory of Nick Kwiatkowski was playing in the Week 1 2018 game against, unfortunately, the Green Bay Packers, where Aaron Rodgers seemed to victimize Nick Kwiatkowski over the middle, especially in coverage, and he just looked too slow to handle the position. Heck, I even remember going one step further, and after two fairly lackluster-looking, especially a lackluster-looking Week 1 in the preseason, and some... Uh, I'm not going to say lackluster performances because I've now said that word three times, but less good camp performances than I wanted to see out of him. I thought Kwiatkowski might be a cut candidate before preseason week three, where he played one of the best games that he could have possibly played. And wow, that third week of preseason has been who Nick Kwiatkowski has been this year. It's been fabulous. He's been reliable in coverage. Not amazing, but he's certainly done his job. Today, he almost picked off Aaron Rodgers. That would have just been fabulous, and he already has an interception on the season, but more importantly than results, he's in the right spots. He's knocking down passes. He's taking offensive opportunities away, and he hammered Aaron Jones on a blitz today. That was fabulous. Got straight to Aaron Rodgers. Seriously, the guy has just been making plays this year. He's always been a good run-stuffing linebacker, and this year he's continued to do that, supporting a defensive line that lost Akeem Hicks until, well, 
today against the run. But in the passing game, he's been much better than I anticipated. A real surprise this season. On the blitz, we knew he was good, but he's continued to play well at that NFL level. Nick Kwiatkowski has earned a spot on this Bears roster, I think, in 2020, assuming he can be re-signed for a fairly decent deal. And more importantly, he looks exactly like that solid veteran depth linebacker that Ryan Pace drafted him to be out of the fourth round. Veteran meaning what he is now. Obviously, he was a rookie a couple of years ago. Either way, he's been a very nice surprise for a Bears team that's needed some defensive positive surprises. And between him and Nick Williams, they have played solid football. I also can't go through this section without mentioning Kevin Pierre-Lewis, the other depth linebacker that's also played well in coverage, less so on the blitz, more so in coverage, because they have stepped in for Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan and looked quite good doing it. Really happy with their performance. Another positive that I want to talk about, I want to talk about both Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller, because both are beasts and they certainly played like it today. Robinson cracked a thousand yards on the season, a feat that he without a doubt deserved based on the way that he's been playing this year, hauling in seven receptions for 125 yards with a longest ball of 34 yards. Really nice rainbow reception from Mitch Trubisky. And Anthony Miller hauled in nine balls for 118 yards with a longest of 33. These receivers were open for the large majority of the day, making plays against a Packers secondary that was fairly vulnerable and they were able to produce as we would have expected them to. Hard to ask your receivers for more than 100 yards each after all, and while we could look at the rest of the depth chart, Tariq Cohen, David Montgomery, Riley Ridley, Jesper Horstead, Cordero Patterson, and J.P. Holtz, the other receivers that recorded any catch whatsoever in the game and say, we'd like a little bit more than the next best being Tariq Cohen at 57 yards, I'll take each of them getting 100 yards. Again, they both deserved it, and given how young each player is with Allen Robinson only being 25 or 26 years old, you hope that these two will become receiving fixtures in Chicago going forward. Anthony Miller is somebody that I think is supremely talented. Not only was he the first person who I ever did a video breakdown on, but every time I watch the guy play, he just oozes and oozes talent. He makes plenty of mistakes. That's not wrong to say at all. Heck, I know Lester Wiltfong on last week's Sack Watch pointed out yet another route that it seemed like Miller ran in the wrong direction and ended up getting Mitch Trubisky sacked. But at the same time, in the Trubisky breakdown that I did just last week, I noticed that Trubisky seemed to be preferring Miller in man situations over Robinson. And that's not a slight to Allen Robinson. I think Robinson's a fabulous receiver, fabulous route runner, really good contested catch ball guy. But Miller was just annihilating his man coverage assignments. He caught both of his Detroit deep balls in man coverage, and he played great today in terms of just getting open consistently. I mean, heck, I think he would have had a touchdown had Mitch Trubisky hit him on that short post, I believe in the late first, early second quarter. Looked like about a 17, 18-yard ball that was just a bit too far out in front of Miller. And while I know some people see Miller, you know, reaching out and that ball hitting him in the palm of the hand and thinking, you gotta catch that, dive, lay out, I I hear you, and I'll have to certainly review it more myself to make a better determination on whether Miller could have caught that ball, but you want that throw to be better. Either way, Miller has been a consistent open deep option for Trubisky, and given just how likely Taylor Gabriel's contract makes it that he will be cut by the start of the 2020 season, I'm excited to see the way that Miller's grown. Allen Robinson pretty much speaks for himself. The guy has just been fabulous. I mean, he's been everywhere. He's caught balls over the middle, short, 
short. He's caught screen passes and made yards out of them. He's caught deep out routes. He's caught balls over the middle. He's caught balls down the sidelines. He's just caught a ton of balls. And he's had a couple more drops this year than he had last year, certainly. That Rams one, the deep post over the middle, catch it or comes to mind in that setting, as does, I believe, a drop last week against the Cowboys. But who knows? Maybe I'm misremembering something. But either way, Allen Robinson has been a fabulous number one receiver. I think he's been well worth his paycheck. And from what I heard of comments from on Twitter and even on Woody City Gridiron, he said recently in an interview that he wants to be a bear for life. And honestly, if there is one player that I would say has earned it, just like Akeem Hicks earned it seasons ago, Allen Robinson is a guy that I think is worth just about whatever dollar you'll pay him. Good to see him break a thousand yards again. Now Bears fans can hang their hats on the fact that Allen Robinson isn't just a he could be a thousand yard receiver. He's recovered from his injury, but instead is now a verifiable thousand yard guy. That is great. A third positive I want to talk about is probably going to catch some of y'all off guard, but I think it's worth mentioning anyway. I want to talk about the defense because I think they played pretty well. Look, I get it. They weren't dominant. They certainly didn't look like they did in week one. They most certainly didn't look like they looked in 2018. But at the end of the day, you look at what they did against the Packers. You say, we marched into Lambeau Field. We only allowed 21 points. When the Packers had an opportunity to kick to take the lead, Nick Kwiatkowski just crushed Aaron Jones like we talked about earlier and knocked the Packers well out out of field goal range, therefore keeping the team in the game. And while they didn't tackle well, certainly they had some plays where they looked like the Dallas Cowboys did last week. Long gainers. They had that touchdown that should have been caught, from what I can tell, by Marquez Valdez-Scantling. But he seemed to short-arm the ball. That's sort of a throwback to Devin Aroma should do, for those of you who do remember him. But at the end of the game, shoulda, woulda, coulda's aside, you take a look at what this Bears defense did, and without taking the ball away once, they limited Aaron Rodgers to under 200 net passing yards and the Packers running game to, albeit not great, 4.2 yards on the ground, which again, it's not fabulous. It's not horrendous. They limited the Packers to 21 points. They kept the Bears in the game all the way. The last time the Packers scored was the second drive of the third quarter. And while the offense was floundering, I'm talking the Trubisky interception. I'm talking the third failure on fourth down that we suffered. They continued to get the ball back into the offense's hands to try to give them a shot to tie this football game. And no, this is not me trying to tell you that I'm happy with Kyle Fuller's overall performance. I didn't think he played all that well today. And certainly, Aaron Rodgers seemed intent on targeting Buster's screen, and he had his way with him. That fourth and whatever, or the fourth and four, I believe, throw that Rodgers made over screen's shoulder, look, that was a gorgeous throw, but screen seemed to be playing a very weird coverage that allowed him to get beat almost immediately. That's not really a good thing. But for all the big passing plays that they allowed, which was like three or four, for all the first downs that they did allow on the ground, the Bears defense ultimately was the unit that was keeping the team in the game. I'm not going to try to tell you that the offense was somehow carrying this team on its back. It was still the defense shouldering the load. And while I would have loved a 2018 Ram-style defensive domination offense, do whatever you want, but we're going to win this game for us, performance that just hasn't been the 2019 Bears. And so instead of comparing them to last year as a barometer, I'm going to compare them to this year, and I thought they did fine. 
certainly, and yes, this is me talking about it, this game could have been quite, quite different had that Cordero-Patterson kick-catch interference garbage penalty just been called appropriately, because for all we know, the offense getting the ball back might have led to some kind of score or at least buying enough time that Lafleur changes his game plan and Rodgers never hits that throw. Obviously, this is some shoulda, woulda, coulda stuff. You know I try not to do this, but... Gosh, I would be crazy if in the positive section of this game, I didn't mention just how gorgeous that Cordero Patterson timed hit was. He caused a fumble. The Bears got it back. That was a gorgeous special teams play. He has been a great special teamer this year, both as a gunner and as a kick returner. And I wish he could have been rewarded for that. And maybe the defense would have been able to keep the score down even further. Either way, when I looked at marching into Lambeau, you can take a look at my Bears prediction this week. 21 points was what I had in mind. The Bears were able to achieve that. And so in a game where there weren't exactly a bazillion positives, I'm going to put that play in the positives bucket. And goodness knows I also have to mention Akeem Hicks's effort, who, while he didn't exactly make a ton of splash plays today, certainly he didn't impact the Bears' defense the way that I would have hoped he would have. He also didn't even look like he was quite ready to play. He got pulled out of the game twice, or at least walked off the field in extreme pain, but stayed in the game both times. The announcers on the TV talked about it. I know I thought it. Hicks looked like a warrior that just refused to be taken out of the Bears-Packers game. Obviously a huge game for both playoff hopes and rivalry sake, and to that I just want to commend the guy for his effort overall. I hope the Bears take good care of him. I hope he's back and ready to play in 2020 one way or another, because we're going to need him for whatever the 2020 season is going to look like. Hakeem Hicks is a huge part of this Bears defense, and we obviously want him healthy. That's all I got for the positive side of things, and honestly, it shouldn't surprise you that I don't have a bazillion positives. I mean, we did lose the game, and that does more or less officially end our season, so it's not exactly a happy time, especially because, and I'll start out with the most obvious negative in my point of view, Mitch Trubisky played his same brand of inconsistent football and, in my opinion, cemented what I think of who he is. He is an extremely talented, extremely inconsistent quarterback. He's going to give you some wow plays in his best games, in his worst games. He's going to do some things that make you go, whoa. I'm talking 2018, week two against Seattle, that fadeaway throw that he had to Cohen. I'm talking that epic throw against Philadelphia, which wasn't even that amazing, but the most moment was just huge. I'm talking the rainbow ball that he had to Robinson today. I mean, he made some really good throws. That first down right side fade thing to Robinson, just the touch ball that Robinson went up and won, that was a great throw. But wow, he was inconsistent with his reads. He was inconsistent with his throwing. Often those things came at different times. And in both my opinion and rate-based statistics, he played pretty bad overall. For those of you who don't already know, my favorite quarterback-related statistic is ANY over A, which is adjusted net yards per attempt. And Trubisky's, while again, the NFL average is somewhere between 6.2 to 6.6, today he turned in a 4.7 ANY over A, which is obviously very poor. And some people are going to say that that's because we're leaving in the interception that he threw to close out the second half that was largely irrelevant. And I hear you, so let's take it out. Now it's a 5.5, which still isn't good. Frankly, if you're asking me straight up, 
I think that you need to use the 4.7 ANYA when taking a look at him because I think that he earned a couple more interceptions throughout the rest of the game that weren't caught by the Green Bay Packers. But either way, it's something of a moot point because the metrics still say that he played below average either way. And as I discussed in my latest Trubisky breakdown, and as plenty of people have tracked throughout this season, when Mitchell Trubisky plays a defense that's considered good by plenty of metrics, the one that I know I use is Football Outsiders is DVOA. When he plays a top 16 defense, he generally averages about a 64 and a half passer rating. Obviously not good. And when he plays a bottom half defense, 17 or below, he generally averages a 108 passer rating, which is obviously pretty great. And I think passer rating is a flawed statistic, but let's just go ahead and use it for now. Makes things easy because it may not surprise you to hear that the Lions and the Cowboys are both in that bottom half as is Green Bay, but today his passer rating, again, counting the second interception, was 65.4, almost dead on with the average of how he plays against quote-unquote good defenses. According to all these statistics, and certainly what I saw, it was the little plays. It wasn't the big plays, because on plenty of his bigger throws, he hit the mark, certainly found the mark a lot more than I've grown accustomed to him finding it. I mentioned it earlier, but the big mistake that I saw early in the game was that post route on, I believe, a third and long-ish, like third and seven, that he missed to Anthony Miller that I thought could have been better. But I can't emphasize this enough. That's kind of nitpicky because he did hit that rainbow ball down the sidelines to Allen Robinson. He hit a couple of other deep shots to Anthony Miller, one way across his body, really pretty on the run, and one that was sort of a layup over the middle. But hey, I've criticized him in the past for hitting layups, so I'm going to praise him here for doing exactly the same thing. It wasn't his big plays that were the problem, in my opinion. It was the little stuff. It was the 7 to 10 yards. It was making good reads with the ball in your hands on a zone read with David Montgomery, where I thought, especially early in the game, he had quite a few opportunities to pull the ball and run around that he didn't take, but I'll have to review those later on All-22 to really get a good picture. You are getting my post-game reaction. I don't have the coach's tape. I'll have to take another look at it. But in general, the whole magic of Mitchell Trubisky's play over the last two weeks was that he was hitting almost 90% of the correct decisions that he needed to be making, and that as far as accuracy went, he was consistently hitting the short throws and the medium throws at least. Today, quite a few of those medium to short throws, especially once his footwork started to fail him around the third and fourth quarter, missed wildly. Some over, some wide, some low. They were everywhere. I mean, that cone of accuracy just got wider and wider and wider from Trubisky, and it didn't help the Bears' offense. Quite a few of those throws were convertible. Quite a few of those throws were, frankly, automatic for a lot of quarterbacks. But for Mitchell Trubisky, who we've known is inconsistent, they weren't. Sometimes he'd hit him, sometimes he wouldn't. And for all those who think I'm being too hard on him, I want to remind you, the analytics don't hate the Bears, they don't hate Mitch Trubisky, they apply the same standard across every NFL quarterback. That's why I like ANYA so much. It's entirely numerical. It's not eye test related. You can just use it as a buoy for the eye test. And in this case, Mitchell Trubisky is not putting up solid numbers. A lot of that is because of play-to-play -play inconsistency. And seriously, even if you're hitting the long shots, every down matters. 
And whether it was errant throws or poor reads, because certainly on those first two fourth downs, it looked as if Mitchell Trubisky had much easier options open to him. The second one was Riley Ridley coming over the middle. That looked much more usable than the throw that he made to Allen Robinson that was wide. And on the long one to Anthony Miller, the first fourth down, it seemed as if he had Robinson running short in front of him, but his eyes had already moved on. Mitchell Trubisky today seemed like a large source of poor downs, also a large source of positive downs, but a large source of poor downs. And that kind of inconsistency is something that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are going to have to make their decision on in this offseason, because it seems as if going back to the other Nagy quarterbacks, like, I mean, I could pick out Patrick Mahomes, but I'm not going to count him. Let's really talk about Alex Smith. Nagy values consistency over the slot machine style production that his quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, is giving him. I'm not trying to sit here and suggest that the guy is done in Chicago after this game. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but I will say this. Nagy's game plan in Detroit and Dallas was pretty consistent with what he started the Packers game with today. And when Trubisky and the zone read weren't able to move the offense, he seemed to crumple up that game plan, throw it in the trash, and immediately move on to a much more vertical strike-oriented offense that I thought was moving the ball relatively well. It seemed like it was more execution mistakes than it was from coaching, which is the reason that in a positives and negatives section, I didn't mention coaching at all until now because I thought the game plan was fine. Not amazing, but could have been done much better in terms of an execution perspective from both the quarterback and, you guessed it, the offensive line. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that I don't really know what to think of the offensive line this year because I've seen tons of Bears fans just call for almost every single offensive lineman's head this season, and I don't think they've all been bad. Certainly, I think the tackles have been better than plenty of people think they are because I think tackles an outstandingly hard position, and hey, even the best tackles in the sport lose really fast on about 5% of their plays, even 10% in plenty of cases. But the offensive line was able to supply Trubisky with some clean pockets today, but they also often got pushed back right into his face, and you could feel the pocket tighten intensely. It did not seem to help Mitch Trubisky. Now, I'll be the first to say... I think Mitchell Trubisky needs to play better under pressure. Certainly some of the throws that he made, the way that his mechanics just abandoned him and he missed those throws with tight pockets are not stuff that we saw Joe Flacco do. And I mentioned Joe Flacco specifically because in that Week 2 game, Bears against Denver, I saw the pocket tighten around him all the time, and he continued to make solid throws. I don't consider Flacco a great NFL quarterback. Certainly, he's not starting right now for a reason, but even he's able to stand tall in the pocket and deliver even with a crowd of bodies in there. But I'm not trying to excuse the line for their pass blocking. Certainly, they could have done better, but I don't know much more than that. I know that James Daniels and Rashad Coward both got whipped a couple of times. Rashad Coward has kind of made a habit out of this, and let me be honest, so has Daniels. But I'll need to go back and rewatch the offensive line play because Mitchell Trubisky got pressured a lot, and I don't know how much of that was Trubisky's fault. I know that one thing you have to remember when you look at offensive line-related metrics is that you have to compare pressures with that pass block win rate because remember if the line holds for say six seconds like that famous Russell Wilson sack where it seemed as if his left tackle blocked for about five and a half seconds turned to the referee and then Russell Wilson got sacked that's considered a pressure after five and a half seconds and I don't know about you, but while I know that there are plenty of football fans that are like, he should be blocking all the time, 
Honestly, if a lineman can make it to about two and a half, three seconds, I consider that a win. I agree with pass block win rate. And the Bears have given up a ton of pressures this year, but they haven't given up more than average quarterback hits. They seem to be pretty solid in pass block win rate. But anyways, this is a negative section because what I'm really here to talk about is the running game where they did not run the ball like they have over the last couple of weeks. Now, that could be due to a litany of reasons. Maybe it's because Trubisky wasn't executing the zone read well, but either way, David Montgomery seemed to have almost no room in the running game in general. It wasn't bad as we saw in the first five weeks of the season, but, you know, it was much, much worse than when we saw over the last couple of weeks, and you would have liked to see better today. That's why I'm going to put the offensive line to go with Trubisky in this because I think that they, the quarterback and the offensive line, can often play like a unit, and while there were some opportunities that, again, I would look back and I would say Trubisky could have had that, I also think that some of the pressures that the offensive line allowed weren't great. Fine in the passing game, certainly less so in the running game. And the last negative that I'll mention, and look, it's not a huge negative, but I'm going to mention it anyways, is the tight ends. Jesper Horstead and J.P. Holtz, who today, again, according to production and what we actually saw on the field, I mean, they didn't get open at all. They didn't do much. In fact, the biggest mark that either tight end left was Jesper Horstead catching that pitch at the very end, which I thought was an all-but-genius idea to throw to Cohen short, which, you know, when Cohen caught that ball short with one, or with zero seconds left on the clock at that point, I remember gasping. I was like, I can't believe Matt Nagy didn't throw to the end zone. But this idea of using Cohen to draw everybody to that right-hand side having him throw back to a fleet-footed quarterback like Mitchell Trubisky, ah, that was really smart. And the lateral didn't work, or it didn't work great. It was a little low. But either way, Trubisky options the ball. A lot of people lateraled the ball from there. Jesper Horstead gets it. He's got two receivers with walk-in paths to the end zone. Certainly Allen Robinson's the most obvious one. Horstead keeps it, and oh gosh, the Bears lose. He gets tackled. That's rough. But that's also the biggest mark that Horstead made on the game. And look, I may need to go back and watch J.P. Holtz because often he is more used as a blocker than he is as a pass-catching threat, even though he had, goodness, I mean, well over 50 yards last week. But either way, I'm going to look at this tight ends uh, group and... I think that in a game that ultimately ended the Bears' season, it is only fitting that the tight ends did almost nothing and then made a mistake. Adam Shaheen, Trey Burton, we came in thinking, hey, maybe this tight ends group will have something to show us. Uh, they did not. And if they or if they did, it was bad things to show us. And the Bears will need to get better tight ends next season. I mean, that's just how it is. Maybe J.P. Holtz could play the Y spot. Certainly, again, the Y spot isn't a pass-catching tight end, but I'm not about to say, like, get rid of Horstead, but he's certainly not ready yet uh, for what the Bears need out of the starting U tight end. They will have to do better. And Bears fans, that's all I got for you. This is a very quick-thinking, quick-action post-game podcast that I thought about a little bit, jotted down some notes, and then put it out there. So obviously, all 22 is going to be needed in terms of prosper assessment of the game, but certainly those were the first couple things that I saw. But now, what did you think? Please, it whether it's Twitter, whether it's iTunes, whether it is Windy City Gridiron's comment section, let me know what you thought of the game. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts overall. And if you like what I have to say or the podcast in general, please rate us on whether it's, again, Spotify, iTunes, or however you're listening to this podcast, a rating would be great. 
greatly appreciated. It certainly helps us grow the brand. If you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. And if you like Bears and NFL-related analytical content, go subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's my first and last name, Robert Schmitz, and you will find tons and tons of Bears videos that I've been doing them weekly recently, but that may taper off a little bit as we enter the offseason, and I try to do more study-heavy projects because those certainly take me longer. Bears fans, this wasn't the season that we hoped it would be, but it's the season we got, and I've had fun covering the team, just as I would hope you've had some fun watching it. We've still got two weeks left in the year. Hopefully we can enjoy it, watch the Bears make some plays offensively, defensively, and on special teams. And until next time, Bears fans, bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, Mom. No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.